This is Mark Stein. After three years in COVID, Stan, it's time to get out of town. So join me on the 2023 Mark Stein Cruise, sailing from Italy to Croatia, Montenegro, Greece, for a full week of sun, sea, and civilizational collapse. I'll have special guests from around the world, from America, Canada, Australia, Britain, Europe, and we'll do all the things you like about the Mark Stein Show and Stein Online, but close up and on water. More details at steinonline.com or marksteincruise.com. The Stein Online Clubland Q&A begins right now. Welcome along, February 10th, 2023, uh, and we're a few minutes late uh, because for some reason uh, my Mark Stein control room decided to do their hilarious impression of the GB News Master Control Room, so uh, we are a little late starting. It's a little after 3 p.m. North American Eastern Time. That's a little after 4 p.m. in the beautiful Canadian Maritimes, half past four in Newfoundland and beyond the Americas, 8 p.m. in London, 9 p.m. in Paris, 10 p.m. in Kiev. It's no good, I still can't do it. 10 p.m. in Kiev. The 11th hour in Moscow, the 11th hour and a half in Tehran for all you Newfoundlanders who moved to Iran for the half-hour time zone. And there are a lot of them out there. Just go to Coom. It's full of Newfies. Uh, 1.45 a.m. in Kathmandu for all you Iranians who moved to Nepal to check out the quarter-hour time zone. 4 a.m. in Singapore and Honkers. 7 a.m. in Sydney and Melbourne. 9 a.m. on a Saturday morning in Auckland. And whoa, lunchtime beyond in his majesty's dominions across the pacific and wherever you are on this turbulent earth this is mark stein back with you for the next 60 minutes or so for another clubland q and i may not hold out for the full 60 minutes but we'll see three years ago tomorrow february 11th 2020 the World Health Organization decided to christen a recent arrival from China and name it COVID-19. And we have lived in the world of COVID-19 ever since. Uh, quick programming note before we get going. Uh, we have my first post-cardiac show with Ava, Leilani and Alexandra. If you haven't seen it, it's posted at Stein Online. And if you like Ava, Leilani and Alexandra, they'll all be on the Mark Stein cruise this summer. Uh, so I did one telly show this week. We're going to do two telly shows next week and build up from there. Uh, because I'm suffering from uh, suffering terribly from exhaustion. And I don't want to restart and then have to go away again. So I do the slightest thing and then I basically sleep for 15 or 16 hours. Um, so I'm going to have to live till like 143 uh, to be uh, awake and doing stuff 
for as much time as uh, a chap who lives his three score and ten. Um, this uh, radio is pretty exhausting, but the advantage for you is you can't see how exhausted uh, I get and how haggard I look. It takes me three times as long in makeup as it formerly did on Wednesday. Christiana worked her wonders, as she always does, but you should have seen me when I first slid into uh, the makeup chair and uh, caught myself in the mirror and contrasted my wan, lifeless visage with her vibrant features. Not good, not good. But uh, but we will have two telly shows for you next week, plus a couple of other things you won't want to miss, including a follow-up to our special on victims of the vaccines. I hope you'll want to stay tuned for that because a lot of these topics are going away on other media outlets. Uh, And with that, let us get to your questions. You know how this works. Any one of the 8 billion people on this planet is free to listen to this show. And we hope at least 6.5 billion of you are listening right now. Uh, You only need to be a Mark Stein Club member to ask me a question. And we have had a lot of new members this week. So I hope our newbies will want to go ahead and throw me a head scratcher or two. Let's get uh, to it. Uh, Jennifer Price says, whatever you were saying to upset Ofcom, it must have pleased the Lord as we thankfully still have you to carry on the fight for freedom of speech. Uh, the once Great Britain is no longer great. Now it espouses uh, off-gem, off-gem, off-com, off-something uh, ideas of freedom. Please tell us how this will get to change. Every resistance is met with a wall of money to encourage, quote-unquote, the out-of-line companies to get back in line. It seems an impossible mission to help the world see how the mainstream media have connived with democratic governments. Thank you and avoid the stress. It's a bit late for that after this last week, uh, Jennifer. Uh, You're right. uh, The wall of money to encourage the out-of-line companies to get back in line. I'm not sure that came into play uh, in the situation of Ofcom and GB News, Um, although I don't entirely rule it out. But the, the fact is there's enormous pressures just to fall into line, as you put it. And a lot of people don't like to find themselves, particularly the kind of people who in, you know, there's people who invest in companies who think they want something a little different. Uh, But when it gets a little bit too different, uh, then they get a bit of cold feet. Uh, Where the money comes in, I think, is I I don't know what is behind, for example, the suspension of James O'Keefe from Project Veritas. Uh, you know, most of us think of J- James O'Keefe is that is is uh, is the guy who goes around and he gets all these uh, secret camera interviews from people that damage all kinds of institutions. And for most people, James O'Keefe is Project Veritas in the same way that Colonel Sanders is Kentucky Fried Chicken. Uh, James O'Keefe started it. Uh, he's the face of it. It's it's expensive and hard work. What he when he got the goods on this Pfizer guy by sending someone along pretending to be on a gay dinner date with the Pfizer guy, and you watch that, and what most people don't realize is that to get that video, 
He's had to do 200 videos uh, with Pfizer employers who didn't deliver the goods, who went on the gay date and just had a gay old time, but didn't actually cough up anything usable about Pfizer. So it's incredibly expensive. It's the most expensive kind of reporting there is, what James O'Keefe does. Now, he gets the goods on Pfizer. They're devastating. Um, he gets a Pfizer guy to say uh, that the company <laughs> is developing variant, is develop developing vaccines for variants that haven't even been loosed on the world yet, and <laughs> that they're uh, considering doing gain-of-function research uh, to create the variants to make their vaccines even more profitable. And uh, it, it was big news to the sort of people who come to our website and who listen to this show and who watch the Mark Stein show. It wasn't big news if you just watch ABC News, CBS News, NBC News, CNN, read the New York Times, read the Washington Post, whatever. But it was enough to rattle Pfizer, who somehow managed to rattle the board of James O'Keefe's company of Project Veritas, because he needs a board and he needs investors, because, as I said, it's hugely expensive. And uh, the board decides to suspend James O'Keefe uh, as chief executive effective immediately. It's odd. It's odd. It's almost, you know, Pfizer can afford to get to people. I don't know whether they did in this case, but it's interesting to me. Um, I'm not, uh, I'm, I don't know what else James O'Keefe has done to warrant being suspended as chief executive. I, in fact, I'd quite like, uh, what's his name, Angelus uh, Flacidopoulos, the, uh, the uh, chief executive of GB News to be suspended. Uh, but that, that board doesn't seem minded to act no matter the ruination he's inflicting on the company. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, that is, the, that, is the tr that is the real problem here. That is the real problem here, because uh, we've seen it on both sides of the Atlantic, that there are enormous pressures to whip any— because in, in the old days, it used to be fairly just about money, just about where there was an opening, where there was a gap in the market. There's certainly a gap in the market uh, for a uh, news organization with a wider view of these so-called COVID vaccines. But funnily enough, whenever any company attempts to step into that gap in the market— uh, pressure is applied either by state bodies such as Ofcom, uh, leaning on weak, cowardly, gutless men like uh, Angelus uh, Flacidopoulos, or in the American instance with James O'Keefe, uh, applied in, in some subtler, non-statist way uh, to make it look uh, to make it not worth the while continuing down that road. And it, and it is very, very, very uh, depressing uh, to see that. Douglas says, Mark, congratulations on your progressing recovery. Uh, with GB News in the rearview mirror, will you be returning to Fox or shifting your commentary <laughs> towards the U.S. focus once again? You know something? 
I've said all this before. I don't really want to say it again because um, at least Fox know what they're doing in a way that uh, Angelos Flacidopoulos doesn't. Um, so in that sense, I do. I have more respect for uh, Suzanne Scott, who's the uh, the lady who runs Fox, and uh, Mead Cooper, who's the lady who runs Fox News primetime. Um, I have a lot more use for them than than uh, than I do for Flacidopoulos, and I think they know a lot more about their their job. But Fox's only use for me, as I've said before, was just trivia. You know, uh, come on and make jokes about Andrew Cuomo's dog for two minutes or make jokes about uh, Prince Harry modelling for the pregnant man emoji uh, for a minute and three quarters. And it's just not worth it. At a certain set, I mean, I if I were, you know, uh, 87 years younger, I might be willing to do that because you think, oh, it's a big break. It might lead to something. When, when you're doing it at my age, it's pretty much guaranteed that you're not going to uh, lead. It's not going to lead to anything. Now, at the time I was being uh, invited on to talk about Andrew Cuomo's dog or uh, Prince Harry modeling for the pregnant man emoji, that was just after the fall of Kabul, or Kabul, as I hope we can all go back to saying it, um, the fall of Kabul in Afghanistan, an American humiliation, an absolutely devastating world historical moment of American humiliation. And I would like to have talked about that on Fox. It's nice to talk about it to a huge uh, audience. But instead, uh, I was booked to talk about Andrew Cuomo's dog. So no, I ain't going back to doing that. Uh, but people here had no absolutely zero interest. They were among our lowest uh, rated pieces at the website because, uh, you know, people don't people don't come to Stein online to read about Andrew Cuomo's dog. As to your broader question, though, Douglas, will I be shifting my commentary towards the U.S. focus once again? You know, I, I think our first contact uh, with GB News a year and a half ago, or whatever it was, I think it was about doing a. I I assumed they they wanted me to do a show, you know, uh, looking at uh, the week in America or whatever, which I did for uh, the BBC uh, many years ago, and um, uh, uh, and they had no interest in that whatsoever. I was slightly surprised by that. And in all the time I did the Mark Stein show on GB News, we covered hardly any American stories. I mean, I think when uh, they uh, reversed Roe versus Wade, the U.S. Supreme Court, I think we had uh, Naomi Wolf on to talk about abortion. And we had a couple of things. But basically, it was nothing American for weeks on end. And I wondered whether, I, I sort of wondered about whether we should be doing American news. And then I'd, and, and actually, aside from when Nigel goes off to Mar-a-Lago uh, to schmooze it with uh, Trump, there's actually not a lot of American news on GB News. And there's not a lot of American news elsewhere, including even celebrity news. I sort of wondered what was up with that. I've been in France for a few months. Uh, it's the same on French television news, French radio news. Uh, I mainly have the French classical 
station on during the day, but it has the occasional headlines and hardly any news about America. Less, and this is weird to me because I was the American, or whatever it was, North American columnist for the Telegraph Group and the North American correspondent for the Spectator. British audiences, French audiences, German audiences were always interested in news from America. And now they're not. Pardon me for taking a sip of water. I've, um, uh, as I said, it's a touch and go whether I'm going to make it through the hour. But it's interesting to me. That's a big change. People are less interested in America than they have been uh, for, for decades. You know, in the, in the 1980s, for example, we were in a Cold War and America was the leader of the free world. Then in the 90s, the Cold War was over, but people were still interested in Clinton dropping his boxer shorts every 20 minutes. Uh, and then, of course, the beginning of the century, it was the war on terror. Something has happened. It's almost as if people, particularly on the politics side, it's almost as if all these news editors across the Atlantic have figured out that, yeah, you know, American politics is now as inconsequential as our politics. And so that, I think, is, and particularly this stage, Douglas, we're now in that phase of the American electoral cycle where <laughs> uh, these awful candidates are already arriving in New Hampshire. They're still in the mainly in the southern bit in Nashua and Portsmouth and Manchester and Concord, but they're going to be seeping up to my part of the world any week now. And so we're going to be hearing about biography. We're going to be uh, wondering whether Pete Buttigieg has a better personal story uh, than John Kasich. Or, you know, I can't. It's the most boring part, and it's nothing to do with the abyss in which we, into which we are headed. Um, so I'm not sure. I'm not quite sure what you mean uh, about uh, my uh, reorientation towards the U U.S. focus. I'm not sure. Did you did you miss my call? I every year, every year or two, I rerun the same column on the State of the Union because my view of it hasn't changed. Only thing that has changed is that the guy delivering it is completely incapable of delivering it. But it's. T uh, am I interested in whether such so and so is up two points in Iowa? Not really, because Iowa doesn't matter. Maricopa County matters. So if you've got some uh, insight as to the reliability of the machines on election day in Maricopa County, I might be interested to hear that. Might be worth talking about. But if you've got fake elections that are buggered by the same six counties every two years, really, you know, it's uh, kind of uh, it's kind of not worth reorienting uh, yourself to that uh, too much. Mary writes, Dear Mark, there's been a lot of speculation on social media as to your vaccination status. I find the demands for everyone to share their personal medical information extremely offensive. Yet I must confess that I'm a bit curious, given your recent heart attacks, if you feel comfortable talking about it, that is. Uh, OK, uh, you're right. Um, there's been some speculation. Uh, a, lot, a lot of it is not really 
doesn't really make any sense, this speculation. People said, well, I fly, I'm in, I'm a Canadian who's in America. I fly over to the United Kingdom uh, to do my show from there. And then I go off to France to have my heart attack. So in order to get across all those international borders, I must have been vaccinated. Now, uh, if you read an interview that uh, they did with me, David Frum's brother, uh, sister, in fact, uh, Linda Frum, a uh, Canadian senator, uh, uh, interviewed me in the National Post in Canada in 2006 and asked me about my passports. And I said I didn't believe in people with multiple passports because all the trouble in the world is caused by people with multiple passports. Like when you uh, pick up some terrorists. He's got six different passports uh, sewn into his coat lining, a couple of which are uh, usually Canadian and Australian, and uh, they may well be these days UK and US too. And I said I didn't believe that because I thought citizenship was about allegiance, so one should only have one passport. Uh, I feel when the COVID got going, uh, this was the first summer of COVID, summer of 2020. I was sick of it after whatever it was, three weeks, four weeks of lockdown and wanted to bust out. And it's true, there were restrictions on travel. And the only way you can get around those restrictions is to be a citizen of the jurisdiction you're entering. Because they're the only ones who, as a general matter of law, although I'm sure they'll change this, can't be denied entry. To be sure, um, they can admit you and then quarantine you or whatever. But again, there's ways around that kind of thing. So I gave up on this idea that you should only have one passport because, frankly, you know, I, for ex I, as I said, I did a big rhapsodic thing uh, the other day, regretting, for example, that my Canada is dead. My England is dead. My France is dead. So I don't feel I owe any allegiance to the contemporary incarnation of the Canadian state. It's a monstrous entity that is at war with every basic fundamental human liberty. So I, uh, whatever it was, starting three years ago, became an acquirer of citizenships of convenience. How do I do that? Well, I have the good fortune to be an Irish-Belgian-Canadian uh, so that's three right there. And, uh, you know, if you're uh, the Irish passport, for, 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 for example, is the only one with unlimited rights of entry to both the European Union and the United Kingdom. So that's what uh, that's what I did. I started with those three and worked up from there. And I recommend it to all of you. These the modern incarnations of formerly free societies uh, can no longer command your allegiance in a sentimental way. You may well be attached to the land in which you live or the land in which you grew up, but their modern incarnation, at least in their forms of government, is not worthy of your allegiance. So grab whatever passports you can get and you will be able to retain for a little while freedom of movement. So that's got nothing to do with my vaccination uh, status. Uh, my vaccine, and actually, the the other thing I've learned is that it's actually incredibly easy, because as with all these universalized viewers, I've talked before about the thing where I 
was supposed to, to have a COVID test within 24 hours in order to get the plane out of the country or whatever it was. And it hadn't come through because I had a US cell phone number uh, and they wouldn't send it to a US cell. And so in the end, I just wound up photoshopping a COVID test I'd had in Spain a few weeks earlier. And once you've done that the first time, it's actually very easy to do it second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth time. Uh, when we went to Ukraine, my uh, dear friend who uh, came in as the uh, cameraman uh, to you, you, I think Ukraine was saying you had to have a vaccine passport or whatever to get in there. And uh, he's very virulently uh, anti-COVID vaccines. And uh, the minute he heard we were going to Ukraine, he just faked one up uh, in Photoshop and ha showed it them on his telephone. Uh, I had the first two COVID vaccines. My doctor was stunned. I didn't think I needed them, and my doctor was therefore stunned when I agreed to have them because I never agree to anything. She's She's been trying to persuade me to uh, get a colonoscopy for over a decade now. Um, but I did so because a member of my household uh, had, a, had an underlying condition. And so I thought it would be safer for her. With what I know since, I know that these things are useless. And even if it didn't harm me, um, <clears throat> I don't think it would harm her either. We have a sort of slightly strange situation in which uh, <clears throat> the Mark Stein Studios, for example, have, uh, when all this started, we introduced sort of hospital-grade ventilation to the building uh, just to be, just to make the air clear, cleaner or whatever. This has nothing to do with me. It's decisions I find out about later. But at the same time, almost all the cameramen on the Mark Stein show and the director and all kinds of people uh, <laughs> have, uh, think it's all bollocks and have had nothing to do with these uh, vaccine. So there's a divergence of opinion. But I had these first two Pfizer shots. And in fact, actually, I didn't like get them. I initially I got them at the local firehouse. And that seemed rather cute and small towny to me. And then when I was actually there watching entirely unqualified people asking the three or four rote questions and then giving you the jab. I felt queasy about, it didn't seem quite right. But anyway, I got the two things. Did they give me the heart attacks? Well, as I said, uh, I think it was last week, one of my doctors showed me all this stuff in which he said, the, I think this was the Pfizer shot, but it might be all vaccines, but he certainly showed me the Pfizer data. Uh, they act as an accelerant so that... Uh, what you, uh, in, in other words, as, as I explained last week, what would have happened to you at 87 or at 94 shows up a quarter century earlier or 20 years earlier. That's how it was explained to me, as an accelerant. And that's why there are all these excess deaths among the young and middle-aged, because the heart attack you should have got at 60 shows up when you're 40, which is why we have this excess deaths among the young and the middle-aged. Horrible, horrible. 
but compelling the evidence he showed me. On the other hand, another of my cardiologists who looked at my echograph, I don't, and I really don't want to start talking about my echograph, and, uh, you know, as I said in my first show back, my idea of a medical bulletin is the one they issued for George V, the king's life is drawing peacefully to a close. That'll do it for me. Uh, but uh, another cardiologist who showed me on the echograph the state of my heart and explained to me that there had been, I assumed, you know, oh, I've lived an unhealthy life, so this is all a build-up from the 1980s, 90s, aughts, and teens. Not at all. She said that the damage to my heart and the strain on my heart had been inflicted uh, on it during the last few months, 12 months maximum. So as she sees it, it's pretty much all GB News's fault. <laughs> so make of that what you will. But anyway, that is my uh, answer to you, Mary. Uh, and let's have a look at this one. Damn Buster, possibly not his real name, says Mark. Thanks for letting me rejoin your club. Well, welcome back, Damn. Uh, you'll never know how much you miss during your absence. Like Basil Fawlty, I promise not to mention the war. The commitment to free speech must trump all else I despair for the future of democracy. Having committed, in my eyes, the greatest crime since the Holocaust in installing Biden. <laughs> uh, that took me by surprise. I was assuming you were going to say the greatest crime since the Holocaust in man mandating vaccines, because that's normally where people are uh, going with that expression. The establishment is stuck, says Dam. How can another free and fair election ever be allowed to take place? You know, this is why free speech is important and why freedom of movement is important. One advantage um, the Europeans have, for example, is that a Frenchman can go to Hungary and a Hungary can go to Hungarian can go to France. And you get a sense of uh, how it doesn't take much of that to get a sense. I'm always astonished whenever I try to. Our, our friend Ava Vladinger broke, for example who lives in the Netherlands, and I'm always astonished whenever I uh, try to uh, get hold of her on the old uh, email or the whatever, uh, that she's in a, she's always in a different country. Oh, you know, she's not in the Netherlands today. She's in Germany. Oh, she's not in the Netherlands today. She's in Austria. And uh, one advantage of that is that you become aware if the way you do, you're doing something isn't quite right. Like I know a lot about, because I flew from London uh, to Lyon for my second heart attack, I'm uh, very familiar with the differences between the French and UK health services. And it doesn't, I, I, try, I said this on Rush in the days after the election, you don't have to do all the stuff that People brought into it rather ill-advisedly about Hugo Chavez and whatnot. Um, all you need to know is that U.S. election systems are not like anything else on Earth. They're just weird. Now, are they weird because they're crap or are they weird because they're evil? That's that's really the only question. Now, at um, 7 p.m. in the Dominion of Canada... 
the polls close and usually by 10 or if it's a close election, 11.42, everyone knows the result and they can all go to bed. This is the only country in the West where you can't say who won a congressional election in whatever congressional district that is in upstate New York for three months. It's, you know, and the thing about it is this is where the American right with all the rah rahing and the pom-pom girls and the greatest constitution, as I always say, it doesn't matter if you have the greatest constitution in the world if you have the crappiest election system in the world. And American conservatives are not serious about this. So we have this, oh, red wave, the red waves are coming. Oh, the red waves are coming, are coming any day now. I'm so excited because the red waves are coming. Uh, and then mysteriously, it looks like there might be a little bit of trickle of a, might be a little bit of trickle of a red wave that's coming in. And then you all go to sleep and you wake up in the morning and you discover that there's no red wave at all. And then you all go back to saying, oh, well, who do you like in uh, 2024? As if that's not going to go the same way. I can't stand it. I can't stand. I've said this before. I don't want to get worked up and have my third heart attack live on the Clubland Q&A. But I'm coming close to it because I can't stand this rubbish, you know, the, that you hear on the talk radio. As I said, here we do it differently. On the talk radio, they have all the super botch music. Every theme tune sounds like uh, Survivor, Eye of the Tiger, Sideways. Boom, 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 boom. It's the butchest talk show you've ever heard. Here, uh, how you can tell it's so butch because we have the driving hard rock music. And then some ease, uh, some sissy boy with easy listening opinions comes. Oh, well, it's all very exciting. Uh, I see Lindsey Graham's up two points in Iowa. You know, here we do it the other way around. We have easy listening music and hard opinions because that's a that's the better way round. That's the better way round to do it. So we have people. You know, I can't. I can't even. I've said all. You know, I've said all this before. When I was guest hosting for Rush, we won a lot of Cumulus stations, and the Cumulus guy. Uh, said, uh, oh, you can't talk about uh, the election shenanigans. So not only do I talk about the election shenanigans, but I talk about how the senior executive vice president of Cumulus has told me I'm not allowed to talk about the election shenanigans because that's just the way I roll. Whereas Mark Levin, butcher than anyone, get off my phone, you think, think. Mark Levin, butcher than anyone, when the Cumulus guy tells him he can't have Donald Trump on the air, he's scheduled an interview with the President of the United States on the afternoon of Election Day when everything's going wacky just to uh, shore up the, the troops, fire up the troops. And the cumulus guy said, oh, no, you can't have him on. Mark Levin caves. You know, uh, the phony, I can stand anything. And here's just to circle back to GB News, phony butchness. You know, I've written for liberal newspapers over the year, uh, over the years. The um, the uh, uh, what call it? The Irish Times, liberal newspaper, occasionally even for the Globe and Mail and the Toronto Star. And they all think I'm nuts, but they're all openly on board with all the garbage, right? 
the Butch Boys pretending to be Butch and then just turning into a bunch of easy-listening pansies is where the real problem is, because that's phony butchness, which I uh, just can't stand. I've gone on a bit, so let's pause from the hell of the passing charivari for a little music, because as I said, it's Butch Opinions, easy-listening music. Uh, Bert Bacharach died on Wednesday at the grand old age of 94. I spent a day with him and Elvis Costello, at the Chicago Theatre a quarter century back, and maybe uh, we'll dig that out and see how it holds up um, over the weekend. Uh, everybody knows at least one Burt Bacharach tune, I would say, from uh, What's It All About Alfie and The Look of Love to Arthur's theme, uh, When You Get Caught Between the Moon and New York City, and That's What Friends Are For. Uh, he was a serious composer, unusual harmonies, unusual shifts of time signatures, uh, unusual intervals. Steve Tyrell, who was the A&R man at Scepter Records and uh, worked on a lot of those early Bacharach and David hits for Dion Warwick. Steve Tyrell once told me that he thought raindrops keep falling on my head was Burt's attempt to write a Bob Dylan song, and he developed this kind of cute party piece of what it would sound like doing it in a Dylan-esque rasp. And I sort of see what he means, but I think that's mostly a function of what Burt used to do with these uh, upward sevenths in... Uh, Upward sevenths in the main phrase of that song. Raindrops keep falling on my head. And just like the guy whose feet are too big for his... And up! Bed! Uh, and that seventh, uh, when it's sung, it sounds like a fellow singing in the shower, uh, trying to do an octave uh, leap and falling just a little short, which can sound very like Bob Dylan, especially latterly. It's, it's the way a lot of guys sing, but it's not the way a lot of composers write. Um, uh, but Burt Bacharach did things like that all the time, and it's part of what makes Raindrops utterly charming. But I'm going to play one of the big hits not one of the big hits today, uh, because I'm sure they're playing them on all the other shows. This was a small hit, but an absolutely lovely tune and an unusual premise. A jilted lover on her ex's doorstep, wondering why she can hear smoocheroo music coming from inside the house. Dion Warwick just squeezed into the top 40 with it, but I have always had a slight preference for this version by Tina Mason. Are you there with another girl? I hear the music coming out of your radio. Are you there with another girl instead of me? And there's something I've got to know Are you there with another girl Instead of me? Oh, I'm standing on your doorstep And I don't know what to do Should I ring your doorbell Or just walk away My friends all say That you were never true Silhouettes in back of your window shade Are you there with another girl When I am gone 
the promises that you made If you're there with another Another Girl, Wonders Tina Mason, arranged and conducted by H.B. Barnum for what was supposed to be her breakout album at Capitol Records. Uh, Tina Mason is something wonderful. Uh, The buying public felt differently and the breakout album never broke out, but Tina Mason kept going. She died about a year and a half ago. The lyrics are by Hal David, who died in 2012, and the music is by Burt Bacharach, who took his leave on Wednesday. This is Mark Stein's Clubland Q&A live around the planet. Coming up uh, to 9 p.m. Greenwich Mean Time at the start of the weekend on a Friday night. We have uh, a question from Ted in Minnesota who writes, Hey, Mark, new Stein Club member. I've loved your humor for years. <laughs> but finally, Ofcom didn't like it. Uh, I've loved your humor for years, but finally got off my butt to join your club since we don't know how much longer you'll be here. I take it that's uh, your humor. Uh, don't say and don't don't do anything too side splittingly funny, Ted, because it'll bring on the third heart attack. Uh, I did want to point out that you listed time zones for Moscow and Iran, but skipped flyover country here in the U.S. We already have an inferiority complex, so please don't add to it. We'll also skip flyover country uh, in Canada too, and there's a reason for that, which uh, I think I've I explained a while back, is that we we go forward, so we do the time zones from west to east because we're going toward tomorrow, which it already is uh, if uh, you're Veronica listening in Auckland. Uh, So we push across the Atlantic uh, where it's uh, coming close to midnight and then to uh, the Middle East where it's just after midnight and then on into Asia where it's early morning. So we then don't want to go back and have it be all Friday lunchtime again. But I have pledged because we've done this show from all over the map, not just from 
America, Canada, Britain, France. But we've we've done the show from Ukraine, and uh, our regular guest host Andrew Lawton has done the show from Albania, because there's so few Albanians in Albania now, because they've all taken the dinghies over to England, uh, that it's freed up a lot of space at a lot of the radio broadcasting studios. Uh, in Albania, so he did the show for us there from Tirana. But I said we'd—I said we would make an exception, and we would do the um, uh, what is it? Pacific Mountain Central Time Zones. When I do the show from what I think of as the Gil- Gilbert Islands, but is now uh, Kiribati. Uh, which is right on the international dateline. The islands straddle it and the equator, so it is simultaneously summer, winter, yesterday and tomorrow. Uh, and that is so cool that we will do the show from the Gilbert Islands and you will then get to... It seems a long way to go <laughs> to give out time zones for flyover country, but I'm determined to hold to the format uh, here. Uh, thank you for that, Ted. Uh, David Graham uh, says, Dear Mark, uh, well, oh, and thank you, Ted, for uh, coming uh, and joining the club. We do appreciate it, and I'm glad to feature your question. Uh, and David Graham, who is also a new member of the club, says, Dear Mark, I'm a Johnny-come-lately to your club, having joined in the last few days when I realized you were not returning to GB News anytime soon. Oh, you never know. You never know, David, if I pull off my boardroom coup. My second confession is that I only came across you when you started on GB News. Sorry I missed your earlier work, but happily after that I was hooked. Your combination of perceptive wit and genuine decency, plus some fabulous guests, quickly made your show the only TV program I would ever make an effort to watch. Uh, clearly now my TV schedule is empty, but hey, I have your online productions and so far I am happy. Let me just say a word about that. You know, I'm not someone, you people who've followed me or been around this website for years, you know, know the things I really like and I really like to do. And I thought by this stage in life, I'd just be sitting at home writing a little bit of poetry or composing that opera I've had in the trunk for years or whatever. But the one thing I enjoyed at the GB News show, and one reason why we're going to keep it going, is because of what we were able to do to help people. Nobody else was helping that's, you know, it, it's so, one or two others have joined in since I started doing the thing. But these vaccine victims, people who had lost their husbands to the COVID vaccines, people who had been crippled themselves and were in huge pain, couldn't get anybody to put them on air. And that's all I wanted to do was to tell their stories. Same thing with people uh, who, uh, with, with young girls, young women who have suffered from the hellhole that the corrupt and evil British authorities, both the politicians and the police, have made of almost every uh, town up and down the spine of England. So like my dear friend, Samantha, who tweeted out that picture of uh, of me and her in my studio. And I saw some total prat then said, oh, yeah, right-wing grooming right there, you know, because 
Samantha is, I don't know, whatever she is, 19 or 20, and I'm 147, and I'm sitting next to her. No, we tell Samantha was a victim of child sexual abuse from the age of five for a decade. She's clear of it now by just three or four years. It's evil what's going on in this town, and it's the, the her town in Telford, but it goes on in all these other towns too. And I can't, I look at these, it, somebody said the other day that I was so moved by some of these stories that I looked on the verge of tearing up. I, I, did, I did all come close to tearing up, but more often I just got angry by these corrupt chief constables. And in the case of the vaccines, by the absolute, you know, so for example, AstraZeneca is sending people along to all these inquests. They're sending their spokesmen along to all these inquests. Uh, but they won't actually, not to say anything, just to watch what goes on so they know the line the coroners are talking, but they won't come on the show and talk about it. Uh, it's particular, it's, this is, these are horrible things. The sacrifice of your most vulnerable girls on the altar of multiculturalism and the conspiracy of silence, which is what it is, so that the government, it's pointed out to the government that we have in England and Wales a thousand extra people dying every week throughout 2022 and into the start of 2023. And the government says, oh, yeah, it's, it's, it's funny that's going on, isn't it? But we're not so funny that we're minded to look into doing anything about it. Um, so that is not uh, something that we're going to be... Uh, so that's something that's very, very important uh, to me, that. Um, John, uh, what, what was your question? Oh, this is the important part of the David's question. I'm not sure if this is a question or a statement, but as a fairly moderate Northern Ireland unionist who has just had confirmation from the Supreme Court in uh, London, uh, uh that the Act of Union is no longer in place, nor indeed the Belfast Agreement, why is it that the British establishment in the Home Office, the Foreign Office, the Labour Party and much of the Conservative Party, together with the EU in Brussels, the current American administration, the Republic of Ireland, loathe unionists so much? Call me naive, but I would have thought uh, that uh, Sinn Féin IRA, who were responsible in my lifetime for close on 2,000 deaths, would have been distinctly less popular than us, but alas, no. That's from David Graham in Northern Ireland. Uh, and uh, I'll tell you, I don't think the reason for that is difficult. And, and no one's going uh, no to go on about Sinn Féin because they're the most popular party south of the border, they're the only cross-border party, uh, oddly enough, and they're much popular. Uh, they're very they're the most popular party south of the, the border, and they're going to be in government soon. And same thing uh, north of the border, where their popularity uh, is uh, also significant. The problem with the union, the unionists were despised throughout the troubles. Nobody liked the unionists. I remember some documentary on marching season 
that the BBC ran with one of those very elegant uh, literary BBC uh, documentarians strolling around. And he's there and they've got, uh, you know, they're, they're singing about King Billy and the pipes are playing it, it for the Glorious Twelfth. I was there uh, last year for the Glorious Twelfth and enjoyed it immensely. But they didn't enjoy it on the BBC and they're listening to the pipes and the guy goes, some of us wish the unionists would just pipe down because they were too British uh, to be authentically British because to be authentically British means to despise your entire civilizational inheritance. So they belong to that select group of people that it's uh, easy to demonize. They've been dealt uh, a tough card by history. Um, and, and, uh, and so they fall into the desert because the shamrock-hued fantasies about Ireland, uh, which would be nice, they would be lovely, they would be beautiful, if only uh, one third of the population didn't feel differently about them. And so uh, and so the existence of the unionists is loathed in Dublin and in America because it's an obstacle to the shamrock-hued fantasy. And they're loathed in London because being that British is felt by the British establishment to be paradoxically un-British. And that was true when the trouble started 50 years ago, and it is even truer now when the British establishment is not just sort of laconic uh, aristocrats f vaguely bored by the burdens of their centuries of global dominance. Uh, it's even truer now when the British establishment actively is ashamed of its the nation's glorious uh, civilizational uh, inheritance. And that is, that is I, love, I love the people in Northern Ireland. I'm not so fond of the Ulster Fry when I wake up in the mornings, but I love, I love the people and I love the land. And I always worry they're about, well, they have been shafted. They were shafted by Boris Johnson. Boris Johnson uh, called the United Kingdom the awesome foursome, and he went on the stump in England, Wales, Scotland, and Northern Ireland. And then he did a deal on Brexit, the bungled Brexit, uh, that stiffed the unionists. And that's, that's why that, they're too British for the British establishment. Uh, John Barrett says, hi, Mark, a question on the light side. Tell us something about your studio, the books and particularly the painting behind you. Well, I'm not in that studio. I take it you're talking about our, it's basically our Sunday poem set, but I use it occasionally uh, if I'm on with, uh, you know, Megan Kelly or something. I'll use it occasionally because uh, I just like it because it has uh, the red ensign in it. And all. I think I used it for mailbox, didn't I? That's, that's where this comes from, because some Pratt, uh, one of the London papers, said Stein goes full Partridge, which is a reference to the ancient pop culture figure Alan Partridge from the 1990s, who I think in one episode when he gets fired does the show from his home. It's a set. I, I tell you what, we might on the next Mark Stein show, we might even just because it's opposite the main Mark Stein show set. So we might just swing the jib and you'll see the other set.
You know, we have four studios, which is four times more studios than GB News has. Um, but the picture I think you're referring to it in, it's a little out of character. So the painting behind me, if you go to our Sunday Poems page, you'll see what that painting is because uh, it, it, uh, we use it for a poem I did after the fall of Kabul on the retreat from Afghanistan. That's the sole surviving soldier on the after the first Anglo-Afghan war, uh, returning from the hell that has consumed everybody else. And that painting is by a marvelous painter uh, called Lady Butler. And maybe we should do a show on Lady Butler because I'm getting sick of the way nobody knows nothing these days. And Lady Butler is well worth knowing about. Sandra Robinson says, Dear Mark, isn't our urgent need now for joint solutions to the war on farming? UK, Holland, United States, Canada, Africa, no non-world government food, no ownership of land or anything. And then the war on association, lockdowns, no spread of information, internet restriction and world truth only. So no practicable resistance. Yeah, that's true. The, the, uh, they talk about one world all the time. What we need is a great big melting plot. We are the world. We are the children. I'd like to teach the world to sing in perfect harmony. Uh, but they don't really mean it because COVID taught them that it was much easier to keep people in their little ghettos. And even within the same country, uh, for example, in the United States, I don't think people in Massachusetts, which had a nominally Republican governor, really knew how much less free they were than, say, people in Florida. Um, so it's 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 weird it's weird to me that and it's weird to me even now to go to <laughs> I was at uh, I forget when this was I think it was back in the summer I was at Charles de Gaulle Airport in Paris which is a hellish airport but I was looking for the Air Canada thing uh, because I was getting on a flight to Montreal so I'm, I asked the lady where is the uh, uh, and she just points in the direction and she goes you'll she goes oh, you'll know it when you get there <laughs> and she was right because they were just about the last airline where everybody had to wear masks and so you you you're going past all these other airline gates everyone's got the all the faces are back and then you go there and uh the air canada one oh mask 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 you got to wear a mask got to wear a mask Stewardesses are in masks. The check-in people are in masks. It's it's weird to me because it's as if they can't see on all the adjoining gates that the rest of the world has moved on. And that's one of the... Sandra is quite right on this, that the, what COVID was able to do in an age of modern technology with drones and transatlantic phone calls and everything else, was it able to keep people in their little ghettos barely aware of what's going on outside. Now, if you add that, if you, if you, in the old days when you had theoretical freedom of movement, but, you, you know, if you wanted to go to the other side of the world, you had to get in a horse and cart and uh, transfer uh, to some ship at some point and do something with your horse and cart. Um, so you had theoretical freedom of movement, but you were basically confined to your own your own practical world. And 
the, the advantage of that kind of parochial, very local world is that it's hard to do a war on food because all the food is grown by your neighbours. And that's what helps. So in a sense, that is a real, that is a small world, but it's a real world. You have freedom of movement within the small world, um, but you have food, uh, you're self-sufficient in food within that small world. What we're entering in now is something that is a recipe for total misery. They're going to restrict freedom of movement. They're already restricting freedom of movement. And at the same time, they're making the biggest change to the human diet. Ava, Leilani, uh, Alexandra and I all talked about this on uh, the Mark Stein show this week, where, uh, where the most powerful figures in the world are taking control of farming on a global scale, to change the human diet more dramatically than it has been uh, transformed in processed foods such as they have in America is bad, 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 bad processed food. I don't like it. I don't like it. It saddens me sometimes when you go to parts of the American countryside and people are still going to crap you like uh, and, uh, and getting the same lousy processed food you can get in the middle of the city. And it's different from some places I've been where, uh, you know, I enjoy it when you wake up in the morning uh, and you uh, have uh, uh, a, a, uh, a fruit juice from fruits that are just from a farm just below your window, which I prefer. But what they're doing now is they're saying, no, no, we're moving to the stage beyond processed food, which is at least processed cow or processed chicken. Now it's going to be processed crickets and processed locusts. And if you think, oh, I'd like to go to the Tour de Fel and have a one last great meal before you die. No, there's no freedom of movement either. These are serious things. And the pushback and the level of politics and the descent into trivia of GB. Oh, who's going to be the Lord President of the Privy Council next? Who gives a crap if every if every society conservative uh, liberal, labor, whatever, is all on the same bloody awful trajectory to hell. Uh, again, a little too excited there. Didn't think I'd make it through this show, but uh, but we did. Just about a little uh, bit of more music to close. We were playing Burt Bacharach a little earlier, and I've sung a wee bit of Bacharach and David over the years. Half a lifetime ago, I did Raindrops Keep Falling on My Head in a comedy sketch. Uh, and I did something similar with Arthur's theme, When You Get Caught Between the Moon and New York City, uh, a few years later. When I made my Cat album a few years back, I wanted to call it Feline Groovy, just because it seemed the obvious title. So that meant we had to include uh, the 59th Street Bridge song uh, by Paul Simon, Feeling Groovy, or Feline Groovy, as I misrendered it. But that seemed a bit of a one-joke outing, so I thought we'd do it as a medley with a Burt Bacharach song. Burt wrote this as a jazz waltz, very much in vogue at the time, but after kicking it around a bit, we thought we'd take it out of three-quarter time and make it 4-4. And my dear friends, Emma, Janet, and Mary, uh, that's Emma Kershaw, uh, Janet Mooney, and Mary Carew, are so good on this song, uh, and I do my best to keep up. Paul Simon meets Bacharach and David, the title track of Feline Groovy. 
slow down, you move too fast You gotta make the morning last Kicking down the cobblestones Looking for fun, the feline groovy Feline groovy, feline groovy da 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 I'm a feline groovy Hello lamppost, what you knowin'? I've come to watch your flowers growin' Ain't you got no rhymes for me? Do do, I'm a feline groovy. Feline groovy, feline groovy. Da 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 da, I'm a feline groovy. Da 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 da, feline groovy. What's new, pussy cat? of songs from me to you the 59th street bridge song by paul simon meets what's new pussycat by bert Bacharach and hal david two of the grooviest songs of the 60s expertly knitted together by our peerless musical director kevin amos with andy finden on the penny whistle and mary jan and emma's kittenish backing vocals Uh, after my heart attacks i couldn't hold that long groove 
groovy. Can barely say it. That long groovy I did near the end over Jeff Leach's Hammond organ. I couldn't do that today, which makes me a little sad. But my cardiologist thinks with uh, appropriate rehab, I could get my long groovy back. And frankly, I could use a bit of grooviness right now. But Bacharach was eminently groovy. He died this week at the age of 94. As a professional courtesy, uh, we always send these tracks to the writers uh, just in case they want to take out an injunction. And all I'll say is that, as I recall, Bert liked it more than Paul Simon did. Rest in peace. Bert Bacharach. Rick McGuinness's Saturday movie date, Tal Bagman on Sunday, Ava Leilani and Alexandra back on the Mark Stein Show. More on victims of the vaccines all coming up in the days ahead. Stay safe, stay free, stay well. Clubland Q&A is a production of Mark Stein Enterprises and Oak Hill Media. All rights reserved.